What if today is your last day on earth? That's a little weightier beginning than the last couple sermons that had 90s pop songs in them, right? But, but it's a really important thing for us to consider, isn't it? Because it could be. What if today is your last day on earth? Do you know that on average, two people die every second in our world? That means that today will be the last day for 151,600 people in our world. And what if you're one of them? What if this is the day that you die? Or what if this is the day that was appointed for Jesus to come back and judge the living and the dead? It certainly could be. Now, maybe some of you are thinking, all right, bring it on. <laughs> I've been waiting for this, right? But maybe there's other, others of you who are thinking, oh, hold up here. <laughs> I'm not quite sure if I am ready for that yet. What if today is your last day on earth? How would that affect how you look at today? Would it change your priorities a little bit? Would you maybe do some different things? Right? Would you maybe look at how you've been living? Right? What your focus has been and maybe think, well, I maybe should make some last minute changes here. Right? If you take a look at your checkbook, you take a look at your calendar, you take a look at how you spend your time off, would you maybe change things up just a little bit? If today was your last day on this earth? If today was your day for departure or Jesus' return? Friends, Jesus wants you to be ready. He wants you to live today like today might be the day, the capital D day, the last day. Jesus wants you to be waiting, to be waiting watchfully. But he also wants you to live without worry. We're going to take a look at our gospel lesson from Luke chapter 12. And we're going to kind of start in the middle. It, it, if you're look, following along in the service folder, the gospel lesson is printed out there. It's the second paragraph, so verse 35. That's where we're going to start this morning. This is what Jesus says. He says, Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. When Jesus says, be dressed ready for service, literally what that says there in, in the original language is, gird up your loins. Now that means nothing to us, so you know why the NIV translators wrote it a different way that we can understand it, right? But, but that picture of girding up your loins, remember that in that time, both men and women would have wore robes, right, similar to this one in length, right? And so what you were being told to do by gird up your loins is take that robe and tuck it up into your belt so you're ready. Right? It showed readiness. It showed you're, you're ready to go and ready to serve. It's the same picture that, that God gave to his Old Testament Israelites. Right? As they're in Egypt, and he tells them to celebrate the Passover meal with their cloaks tucked into their belt, their, their sandals on their feet, their staffs in their hands, so they're ready to go at any moment. Right? It's kind of like when we tell our youngest at home on a school morning, have your shoes on, have your backpack by the door so that when 7.40 a.m. comes to walk out the door, you're ready to go to school and we're not gonna be late, all right? 
Jesus gives the picture here of servants waiting for their master to get back from a banquet. And, and unlike a specific time like 7.40 a.m., they don't know when the master's going to come back. And so they have to be ready at every moment. So wedding banquets in the time of Jesus and in the Jewish culture would have lasted days, maybe even up to a week sometimes. And there were no cell phones, right? Not even paid that day, right? And so there were no texts back to the servants, OMW, right? That means on my way, right? They couldn't do that, right? So they had to be waiting all the time. They had to be watching so that when that master arrived home after that wedding banquet, they could open up the door for him, they could welcome him in, and they could care for him. Be ready, servants, for the master, because you don't know when he's going to come back. Jesus goes on. He says, It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. All right, I got you so far, Jesus. You're talking about servants being ready for their master to come back from a wedding banquet. They should be ready. Loins girded up. Um, you know, lamps burning. They're ready to welcome him home. But then something's really odd in here. Did you catch it? Did you catch what it says? It's right there in verse... 37, the second sentence, he says, Truly I tell you, he, the master, will dress himself to serve and will have them, the servants, recline at the table and he will come and he will wait on them. This is completely backwards, right? I mean, the master who's coming home from a wedding banquet, traveling probably a long ways, is going to just want to put up his feet, relax, and have his servants take care of him. That's the normal way things go. But obviously, Jesus is not talking about that. Jesus is telling you this is more than just how a servant should take care of their master. And what he's saying is, when I come back, your master, I'm going to take care of you, my servants. I will come and give you a feast, a banquet that you can sit down and enjoy. I'm going to wait on you. Not only does that seem backwards, but it seems absolutely unbelievable. But, but that's what Jesus says is going to happen. So what's he talking about? When Jesus comes back, when he returns, what's this banquet that he's going to spread before us and tell us to come and recline and enjoy and eat at? Well, the Old and New Testaments both use this imagery. Both tell us what Jesus is talking about. This is what it says in Isaiah. Isaiah says, The Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. Jesus himself spoke of this day in Matthew. He says, On that day, many will come and they will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And then in the book of Revelation, right near the end of the entire Bible, we hear that blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. So what Jesus is saying here in this parable is he's saying that when I come back to you, when I come from heaven back to this earth, I'm going to welcome you into the heavenly banquet. I'm going to lay before you the richest of fare. 
And you will never have any other want or need or worry or care ever. I will care for every one of your needs. I will welcome you into heaven with me. That's what Jesus is saying. Be ready for that. Did you notice that? Two times it says, it brackets that phrase of what the master will do for the servants, what Jesus will do for us. It says, it will be good for those servants to be ready. It will be good, it says right after. It's good to look forward to what our master Jesus has waiting for us and how he will serve us and invite us to that wedding feast and that banquet where we have no care anymore. To be ready for that to come. And in case we don't quite get it yet, in case we don't understand how Jesus wants us so badly to be ready and to be watching wait for, and waiting for him, he, says, he uses another illustration. Verse 39, he says, But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not let him have his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Jesus wants us to be waiting watchfully, to be ready for that master, him, to return here to take us to that heavenly banquet. Why? Why does Jesus care so much? Why this lengthy admonition, two different illustrations, why? Because you and I know all too well how easily our sights are taken off of what God has waiting for us. Too easily, we're not girding up our loins and keeping our lamps burning. Because too easily, we get sucked into the here and the now, right? Into the, the things of this life. The things that, eternally speaking, don't matter. Jesus knows how easy it is for us to be so focused on the things of this life and forget eternity that's waiting for us. And that Jesus is coming back. Right? And think about how that impacts your life. Think about how that plays out. Right? When you, when you disconnect this life from eternity, from the next life, how does it make you look at the problems of this life? Right? The financial struggles, the health concerns, the relationship problems. Right? They become everything <laughs> because we're forgetting the eternal. Think about how that affects your relationship with God. That is just something that you can put on the back burner. You can get to that tomorrow, maybe the day after. Right? When you disconnect this life from the fact that there's a life to come after this one, it completely changes the way you look at your life and the things that happen in your life and even your life with God. And so Jesus warns us here, watch, be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at a time when you do not expect him. Keep one eye fixed on the skies. To know that today could be the day. And consider how that impacts your life and how you look at the things of your life. Jesus wants to give us a change in perspective 
a change in priorities and to watchfully wait for him to come. But in addition to that, Jesus doesn't just want us to be waiting watchfully, to be ready for his return. He says, you know, while you wait, you don't have to worry. You can live your life today. Even if today's the day, you can live it without worry. And now maybe you think, well, pastor, that, that's, that sounds great. <laughs> that's really great advice. But, but seriously, not worry? Because I know what the end means. I know what it means if today is my death day or Jesus is going to come back today. I have to face God. I have to face the Holy God. And when I look at my life, it's pretty terrifying, isn't it? When I look at all of my failures, when I look at this long trail of lies I've told and people I've hurt and good intentions that I've had but, but failed miserably, when I look at how many times I have neglected God and his word, when I look at how many times I have tried to find my happiness and my hope and put place my trust in so many other things rather than God and then I have to face him, it's downright terrifying. And I shouldn't worry about that. When I think that God looks at my life and what he sees is just a mess, a disaster, filled with sin and evil, right? And knowing the things that I should do, the good things I should do, but instead choosing the evil that I don't want to do, that I end up doing? Man. And what's the result? It's fear, right? It's fear. Have I done enough? Have I done enough to please God? Have I done enough that God will maybe, maybe be kind enough and gracious enough to me to, to maybe let it slide? Will my prayer, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, be heard and received and answered? Friends, if you've ever been there before, if you've ever felt that way before, right, if you're feeling that way right now, or maybe you go back and forth between feeling secure and feeling really worried and afraid, then listen to these words of Jesus from the beginning of our lesson. He says, do not be afraid, little flock. Do not be afraid, little flock. You have nothing to fear when you stand before the judge. Be it on your death day or the last day, you have nothing to be afraid of. And why? He says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Not because of anything you have done. Not because of anything that you haven't done. Your father is pleased to give you the kingdom, little flock. 
shepherd of sheep, the sheep of the shepherd, the good shepherd, he is pleased to give you that kingdom, not because he's so pleased with you, but because he's perfectly pleased with his son and what he has done for you. Your perfect savior and substitute. That your father looks at the perfect, sinless, innocent life of Jesus. A life of perfect love and compassion and forgiveness and kindness. Always choosing what is good and always avoiding what is evil. And he accepts that life in place of your mess of a sinful life. And your father looks at that blood-stained cross, stained with the innocent blood of that lamb, that lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, yes, your sin. For every time that you have neglected God's word, for every time that you have put other things before him and tried to find your hope and your happiness and put your trust in other things other than him, they're all nailed there. You see, God poured out his wrath upon his own son at that cross so that he could pour mercy out upon you. Completely undeserved. Completely full. Completely free. The Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Not something you earn. But something earned for you. Through your Savior Jesus, your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom to say that you are forgiven. You are mine. Heaven is yours. You have a place at that heavenly banquet. Your name is on the reservation list and it, will be not, it won't be taken off. There is a place at the table for you, reserved for you. It's yours. And your father is pleased to say welcome and joy forever. Because of what your savior did for you. All guilt, all shame, all regret, all sin in Christ, it's all gone. Think about that. Think about what that means. God gives you, your Father in heaven gives you the gift of the kingdom through Jesus. It's yours. He's pleased to give it to you. You don't have to worry if you've done enough. You don't have to worry if you're good enough. You don't have to worry if God will be pleased with you as you stand before the judgment seat because he's already pleased with Jesus for you. Jesus has done enough for you. The kingdom is yours. In addition to that, because of that, you don't have to worry about anything else in this life. Think about that for a second. If God has already been pleased to give me the kingdom through my Savior Jesus, how will he not also give me everything else that I need until I get there? Right? If it's, if it's today or if it's 40 years from now or, or, or you know, 80 years from now, whatever it is. God will care for every one of my needs because he's promised me that there's a place for me at that heavenly banquet. 
Jesus goes on and he talks about how this changes our lives, how it, re it changes our priorities. Because we already have the kingdom through the grace of our Father. He says this. He says in verse 33, Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. For no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, is Jesus telling you to leave here today and go and sell everything you have and give it all away? No. Maybe it makes you go home and makes you think a little bit about how you're using the possessions God has given you. Maybe you need to reprioritize a little bit. But what Jesus is talking about is what are our priorities? What is most important to us? He says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So where's your heart? Where's your attention being placed? What, what, what's your focus? What is your top priority? What's most important to you? Jesus says that, that all of the things of this life that we do give our attention to, that we do often make the top priority, that we give our hearts to, right? Be it job or, or money or, or respect or, or earthly relationships or earthly happiness or leisure, whatever it might be, Jesus says, these things are all okay and fine. <laughs> but they cannot compare to that treasure that moth cannot destroy and thieves cannot steal. That treasure that lasts forever. Focus your heart on that. On that treasure that you know is yours. Right? That, that only treasure that you know can't be taken away from you. That only treasure that you know is truly yours because it is a gift of grace from your Father through Jesus and completely based on what he has done and not on what you do. That heavenly treasure that is the only thing that lasts forever. Jesus says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And knowing that that treasure is mine. It's mine. And believing that and living in that and holding on to that is where we find the ability to let go. To not worry about the rest of the things of this life. That God has promised me this treasure that is mine through Jesus. And it cannot be taken away. So what is a life lived like today is the day look like, right? Back to that original question. What if today is the day? What if today is the last day on this earth? Let's say Jesus comes back today or today is your death day. What does a life lived like that look like? It looks like this. Relax tomorrow. Enjoy the holiday. On Tuesday, go back to work and work hard. Take care of your family. Cook meals, do the laundry, clean the house. 
Read God's word. Pray. Serve and let other people serve you. In other words, go and do the things you need to do. Go and do some of the things you want to do. But this is the difference. You can go and you can live confidently. You can go and you can live ready. You can go and you can live your life without worry. Because the Father, your Father, has been pleased to already give you the kingdom. You live in the knowledge that there is a place in heaven waiting for me at that heavenly banquet. And that every day I live in his grace. Every day he will meet every one of my needs until he brings me safely there. Amen.